Welcome to The Lab. What's going on, all you brainiacs out there? And welcome to the Fantasy Football Laboratory. I'm the chemist, Jack McGrath, with the king of trade, Shane Palma. What's going on, everybody? And the Spitfire, Lucas Parrish. It's just Spitfire, Jack. But what's know, going I, on, guys? I Jack, added how a, are you doing today? I am good. I, I added a the in there. Like, you know how in, in Iron Man wasn't there a discussion? Is it the Iron Man or is it Iron Man? And then he goes, it's Iron Man. It's a much better name. But I added the the in there, see, see how it went. But no. So we are back for another episode of the Fantasy Football Laboratory. Shane's back. Shane, how are you feeling, man? Uh, I, I am back and I'm feeling all right. I, I don't think most people out there know. I had a minor, minor procedure done. So I was, I was kind of iffy these past few episodes. I didn't want to go if it wasn't going to be my full 100%. Still not my full 100% right now, but it's been too long and I got some stuff I got to get off my chest. So I figured I'll let Jack host and I'll sit back and do some talking. Yeah. So Shane came on. He said, I have stuff to talk about. I'm coming on today. He sent that in our group chat earlier. So he's got some stuff to talk about. Let's talk Shane about always something. has stuff to talk about. He always has stuff to talk about. And I'm sure he was biting. He was chomping at the bit to jump into our conversation last week about George Kittle and Darren Waller. So if you look at the split between George Kittle and Darren Waller on some sites, Darren Waller's ADP is higher on other sites. George Kittle's ADP is higher. They're really interchangeable at this point. I ran through the stats. I believe Darren Waller's the better pick. Lucas believes that George Kittle's the better pick. I saw it last year with Darren Waller. I think he's on his way up. Lucas is talking about how two years ago, three years ago, George Kittle has been the most dominant tight end in the league for, for the past two years before last year. But then last year, Darren Waller jumped into that conversation with Travis Kelsey. Shane, what are your thoughts on Darren Waller heading into next year? Darren Waller is going to finish as the tight end one in fantasy football next season. I've done a lot of research in my time off. I've done a lot of adjustments to my rankings. And I am on the full on train to believe that Darren Waller has the potential to obviously not only, you know, be the number one for the Raiders and what they need to be, but just be the number one overall tight end. Okay. No, no, no. You said two different things there, the potential, or he will be first. You said he will be the tight end one. He will be, which made that you're putting him above Travis Kelsey in your rankings. No. Okay. That's what that's the point of the rankings to predict. If you think he will be the tight end one, Darren Waller is going to be number one in your rankings. If you think he has the chance to be, he can be two, sure. But if you think he will be, he's number one in your rankings. You want him to move? I'll move him to one of my rankings right now if that's going to please you, Lucas. Well, it's, not, it's not about pleasing I'm me. I'm not going to draft Darren Waller over Travis Kelsey. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to draft okay. Darren Waller over George Kittle. Because the value is still there with Ke- I know Kelsey could be the tight end one. Obviously, I think that Darren Waller will be the tight end one going into next season. But has he done it before? No. So then you bring in the word potential into that. But I think that he's going to be the tight end one. I still won't rank him as the tight end one. The same reason why I, you know, I, I had Dalvin Cook as my RB one, and then everyone's talking and saying that Dalvin Cook's not as valuable in PPR. And I still think in standard and in half PPR, Dalvin Cook is the number one overall player. But in PPR, Christian McCaffrey is going to be the guy that you're going to take first overall. But I still think in all formats across the board, Dalvin Cook can and will be the RB1. So my rankings can what, – what's that face? What? That, it's the face of if you think if, – if your take is that they will be the RB1, then you are going to or, – or the tight end one, then that's where they should be in your rankings. I'm not sitting here saying Zach Moss will finish better than Miles Sanders and having him below Miles Sanders. No, I have him above Miles Sanders for that reason. It's you can't say he 
will be that there is a 51% chance or greater that he will finish as the tight end one and then have him as the tight end two in your predictive rankings. Like you can say, you can say very well, I think there's a decently high or a fairly high chance that he could do that. And that's fine. But you can't say he will be and then have him lower. You can't say he will be the tight end one and then say, oh, but I will still take Travis Kelsey over him. Like, why? Why would you take someone who you think is going to be the tight end two over someone who you think is going to be the tight end one? So, Shane, generally when it comes to having arguments about logic, Lucas goes on the losing side and me and you are more on the winning side. But this time I'm actually going to have to side with Lucas here. If you're going to say he's going to be the tight end one. Now, I understand there's been arguments that we've had about this before. And the difference then comes in, he he will be the tight end one, and we're saying that he's going to hit his ceiling and the floors are sometimes lower. So the only way I think you can make that claim, Shane, is if you're saying Darren Waller has a lower floor than Travis Kelsey, and if he's going to be the tight end one, just as high a ceiling, or you're saying Kelsey's going to hit mean, his floor. I, I, there's a range there, and if you're going to project that Darren Waller is going to be the tight end one, then something's telling me you have to put him at that tight end one because I don't think their floors and ceilings are all that different. I think no, there's a minuscule difference. And if you're predicting Waller's is going to be higher, and he has a better chance of hitting his ceiling. It's tough for me to say you can't, you, you still have him as your tight end too, and you're going to make a bold claim here. Yeah. All right. Move him up. Move, move him up there. Move him to one. Move but on. I'm, I'm just going to say that Shane's saying move on. I'm just saying this is music to my ears. I feel like I take the take the bold takes way before everybody else has a couple of bold. T- I took, I took, I had Waller over Kittle this entire time. That's and now people bold. are starting to put Most Waller over did. Kittle. You guys roasted at me for it in past episodes. There's been other things that have happened like that too, but we're going to move on. Cause Shane wants to move on. Um, we're going to stick with some tight ends though. Cause out of bears camp, Cole Komet's been a discussion point on Twitter and basically everywhere. So he's a guy who has size, he's a guy who has speed, but there's questions about when he gets downfield, if, he, if he's quick enough, if he has the route running ability to be a legitimate tight end who can catch passes and be sustainable downfield as a target for Justin Fields. Bears still have Jimmy Graham in that offense. Cole Komet, though, second-year player out of Notre Dame. What, what are our thoughts here with Cole Komet? Because for me personally, I'm in our dynasty league. I think he's a great stash on your bench. I'm not going to draft him as my starting tight end, but I think he's a great stash on your bench right now, Cole Komet is. This is your typical example of someone who you could, you've got a decent chance of hitting on before the curve, right? This is a guy who is primed to have a, if not like huge breakout year, a a year that's going to be better than where you're going to get him in your drafts. You know, so if you're taking Cole Komet as your, Jack, look up his ADP real quick, if you wouldn't mind. Um, but if you're taking Cole Komet as your, you know, tight end two and you're drafting him in uh, double digit rounds, which I think that's where he's going, you know, that's a guy who I, I think very clearly you're going to see value on that investment. I think there's a much higher chance than the opposite just because, you know, they need pass catchers in that offense. They spent a decent amount of draft capital on Komet. Reports are good coming out of training camp and hopefully he'll have Justin Fields who, who should look pretty decent in the NFL, even at a rookie stage throwing to him for most of the season. All those things are, are a formula for Cole Komet to at least be a low end tight end one. Um, and you're not going to have to pay that price for him. No, not at all. You're not even going to have to come close to paying that price for him. I'm looking for his ADP right now. He's all the way down at 20. He's below Tyler Higby. He's right above Zach Gertz. Cole Komet, you're really not going to have to pay for at all if you want to stash him on your bench. He could be a red zone threat. And at the tight end position, what you basically need is touchdowns. He's a guy who's going to get work in the red zone. He's a big target down the field. And if the Bears start scoring more and start throwing around the end zone more than they did last year, 
then you're looking at a guy who has six, seven, eight touchdown potential, potentially in uh, Cole Komet staying with that offense. though, maybe they run the ball around the red, the end zone a bit more. David Montgomery is another guy that's been popping up a lot. The question becomes with David Montgomery, do you believe that he's going to be a bell cow back and have a workhorse role in the bears offense with Damian Williams now there. And with Tariq Cohen now there, if he gets 20 plus touches a game, David Montgomery is a guy that should be drafted in the first three rounds of the draft. And right now we're not hundred percent sure what's going to happen there. Shane, I'll toss this one to you. Just talking about the running back core in Chicago a little bit. What are we thinking with David Montgomery? Cause this is a guy who finished last year as the fourth ranked running back in PPR. Well, I'm going to talk about the tight end position because I didn't get to say a word during that whole thing. Over the Bears' last six games of the season, including the playoffs, Cole Komet out-targeted Jimmy Graham 34-17, to which is pretty significant in my eyes. But the negative stat when it comes to that is in those six games, Graham scored 52.7 PPR points and Komet scored 43.2. When you take Cole Komet's stats from weeks 13 through 17 and put that on a 16-game pace of what you would have over the course of the regular season, he'd be on pace for 96 targets, 64 receptions, 477 yards, and three touchdowns. It's underwhelming. It's outside the tight end one range, outside the top 12 tight ends, and that's obviously where you're getting him right now. I think where you're paying for him is, uh, is right around where his value could be. There's a lot of tight ends in that range that could go into the tight end 12 category atlas and i saw someone trying on tiktok to explain how they how uh tim tebow can make his way into a tight end one finishing as the tight end 12 overall so that tight end 12 overall spot is is open for grabs i with jimmy graham back on the bears unless he retires mid-season i can't envision that Komet has any greater of an impact on the offense as a guy like dawson knox could have that you're paying probably even less than at that point just throwing it out there, the Bears made a cap cut. There was a cap casualty earlier in the year, and Jimmy Graham has a big contract. He could have been the cap casualty. Instead, they got rid of Kyle Fuller, who is an all-pro cornerback and has been an all-pro cornerback in the past. They're not going to hold on to Jimmy Graham if they're not going to use him. I think Jimmy Graham at this point is still a decent draft pick as the 12th overall tight end off the board or a top 15 tight end off the board, possibly as a backup for your starting tight end. We will stick – so – David Montgomery is still on there too. We talked about him a little bit. Lucas, what are your thoughts on on the backfield in Chicago? And does David Montgomery sustain RB1 value again? Look, I mean, you hear reports of David Montgomery, them trying to get David Montgomery 20 touches a game, right? And, And what that says to me is you're looking at 19 carries and one reception a game. You know, you've got Tariq Cohen there, um, who's obviously going to be the main receiving back. That being said, Tariq Cohen's ACL uh, return from his ACL tear is not progressing at the pace that they had hoped. So if Tariq Cohen ends up sitting out any chunk of that first season, or you get a situation like, you know, when Jamal Charles tore his ACL that second time in Kansas city, he never really recovered. And even the year that he was healthy, he saw the field like twice, you know, there's definitely a chance Tariq Cohen isn't there. And if Tariq Cohen's not there, David Montgomery is an absolute steal because he will be a workhorse back both rushing and receiving now they did go out and get Damian Williams probably as a little bit of, of a safety net in case Tariq Cohen isn't backed up to, to full strength by the time the season starts so he'll probably lose some touches to Damian uh Damian Williams did I say Damian Harris no okay you said Damian Williams. Williams. good 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 um he'll probably lose some touches however those aren't going to come in any significant number of receptions so you, you'll I think he'll lose just as many carries as receptions to Damian Williams um so 
David Montgomery, if Tariq Cohen's not there, absolutely. I, I that's that's a solid RB two with with upside for more because of receptions. If Tariq Cohen is there and healthy for the full season or even a good chunk of the season, then I, I don't know. I, I'm I'm buy him at his ADP absolutely, but I, I'm not going to buy him any higher just because you know at at some point receptions give you a floor and a ceiling. And if David Montgomery gets 20 carries a game or 19 carries a game in one reception, you know, and, and he, with that puts up, let's say he has four yards per carry. That's still what 80 yards. And so then it's pretty dependent on if he gets in the end zone or not for, if you're going to get production. So it's with David Montgomery last year, just throwing this out there, he had double right. digit carries in every single game and he, his he averaged three and a half receptions per game. Shane going. It's a trap. I don't want it. I really don't. I'm looking there's, there's coach speak right now. Matt Nagy saying that he wants to give Dave Montgomery 20 touches a game. Montgomery right now is going in the early fourth round from what I've seen, which is way back on what I thought it was going to be in the mid second round in that acres Gibson range. Uh, I mean, the value for him here is still fine to reach that potential. And if you're looking at receptions as part of his floor and as part of this, as part of the safety that comes with the touches that Montgomery will get, I will take Miles Gaskin a thousand out of a thousand times that I see both of those men on the board. The touches when it came to Gaskin just last season, in which I think for the Miami offense was a, it was it was in shambles, honestly. Uh, I, I thought it was very chaotic. I thought they didn't have a, a clear-cut plan on what they wanted to do. Offense was their number one focus this offseason. And still, Miles Gaskin averaged 18.9 touches per game, played 69% of the team's offensive snaps. They brought in Malcolm Brown, but when you look in those red zone numbers, in 10 games, Miles Gaskin had over 19 more red zone attempts than Brown did all while playing healthy last season. Uh, still averaged 16.4 fantasy points per game, which was 10th. Uh, and I know obviously David Montgomery averaged more. He was a superstar at the end of last season. But I think another thing that you have to look at for Montgomery is the fact that he had such an easy schedule at the end of the year. And that was something that we enjoyed having him for and trading for him uh, when it came to your fantasy trade deadline, because you were just looking at, uh, can he take advantage of the road that he has in front of him? And he did. Uh, but when it comes to next season, I, I really do think that Tariq Cohen, even if he eats away eight touches out of the backfield in total, whether that's rushing attempts plus receiving attempts, and maybe Montgomery ends up averaging 15 total touches per game. I mean, you'll still love that as your RB2 going into the season, but it's just not something that I'm totally buying into, especially if Andy Dalton's going to be the, the starter for a significant portion of the season. We saw what happened to Ezekiel Elliott when those receiving touches wore off after Dak Prescott was injured and was out for the rest of the season. Not saying that Dalton wouldn't check it down occasionally, but when he does, maybe it's three cone that's in. And then maybe Montgomery's only averaging two targets, three targets per game. He's only catching one of those per game. And, you know, it's just not something that I'm interested in at all. And I'm totally in on Gaskin at that point. That's, yeah, that's my concern with him is that he would only get two to three targets a game with Tariq Cohen healthy and back. Um, one thing that you, you that, that should be noted is David Montgomery, you know, in college at Iowa State, he was beforeing the draft. He had the most broken tackles or, or the most missed tackles um, of any running back entering the draft. Last year, I believe he had the most, you know, missed tackles of, or he had, he was the most elusive back based on some metrics um, in the league, but it didn't matter because his offensive line was bad and the offensive line is better. They, you'd hope, I mean, they have Tevin Jenkins who, who you'd hope is, is going to be a plug and play guy. Um, 
you know, but he's still a rookie. And aside from that, I don't think the offensive line is all that much better than it was last year. So that's still some concern there. You know, are they going to be able to block for David Montgomery to get the space that he needs to be extremely effective? I, I'm not sure if that's the case. There wasn't really a deep ball passing threat in that offense, though, last year. Mitchell Trubisky nor Nick Foles could throw the ball deep. Andy Dalton does have better deep ball numbers than both of those quarterbacks, and Justin Fields is expected to be miles ahead of both of those guys by the time he rolls around and is finally ready to go. So there is, I, I still see the value in David Montgomery right now. Oh, absolutely. He's Where he's being drafted, sure. Yeah, Just not over Miles Gaskin. No, not over Miles Gaskin. Miles Gaskin's being drafted one spot below him, according to ESPN average draft position. David Montgomery right now, after finishing as the fourth running back last year in PPR scoring, is going at 20, is the 21st running back off the board. J.K. Dobbins, Chris Carson, Josh Jacobs, and Clyde Edwards-Alaire are all going over David Montgomery, which surprises me a little bit. I'm going to love his value. He's going at the fourth, fifth turn. I'll take him at the fourth, fifth turn going into drafts next year. I'm on the other end. I still think he's going to get those backfield touches. I think he's going to have the carry numbers. The volume is going to be there. There's going to be enough there for David. There's no argument on the carry numbers. The argument is what, what are his receptions going to look like? Because that will create not only a floor, it'll also create a ceiling for him. You know, his ceilings decent with those carry numbers, but his floor is not great. You know, you're looking at a guy who could very easily, if he only gets two to three targets a game, have several games where he puts up, five points, you know, something in that range, because without the reception numbers, you you limit a floor in PPR in standard. Absolutely. David Montgomery shoots up quite a bit more, but in PPR, you know, unless Tariq Cohen, you know, before the season, we find out that Tariq Cohen is really not going to be a go for a good chunk of the season. David Montgomery is someone that I I like at the value that he's being drafted at, not over miles Gaskin though, who's also being drafted in the same range. Um, But you know, overall, he's not a bad pick where he is, but I would not move him up too much higher. So right, if, I about my- my, if I say Miles Gaskin is going to finish as the eighth overall running back as a hot take, do I then have to move Gaskin above Nick Chubb and Ezekiel Elliott? If you if you say that he will versus if you say that he could, there's there's a difference. Because if you say that someone will, that's putting a lot of certainty in that take. You get what I'm saying? Like if you have that much certainty that it'll happen. You need to back that up. Whereas if you say that he could, like his ceiling is that, but his floor, you know, isn't, and those other guys have a higher floor. It's not as good as a hot take. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw my tweet. I put out a tweet with my hot takes for next season, and it was the Darren Waller tight end one, Gaskin as a top eight, Robbie Anderson top 12, Devontae Smith top 20, and that Mac Jones is going to be more fantasy relevant than Justin Fields and Trevor Lawrence. No, I here, here's take- where I think it differs in terms of this because Miles Gaskin, you're projecting him to hit his ceiling. His floor is still so he's, much lower a, than those guys. I think he's a top 25 overall player, Miles yeah. Gaskin. I think he should be a second round pick. In all honesty, I really do. I, I agree with that completely. And I have him he's in my the RB, He's my RB 13. I think he should be going at that 2 3 turn. Yeah. You could see it. Let's talk about that Miami offense a little bit because to attack of Iloa, he's a guy we haven't talked about a whole lot. If you haven't noticed this podcast, this episode is purely just hitting on different players. We all wanted to hit on because we haven't talked about him a whole lot to attack of Iloa. We haven't talked about him a whole lot. He has revamped weapons now in Miami. He's got Jalen Waddle. He has Devonte Parker, okay. still, Mike okay. Gesicki, and he has <laughs> Will Fuller. So you're right. welcome to miss out on him. Let's let's throw out all three of those receivers. Let's just not even talk fantasy implications for those three. Let's talk about the fantasy implications for Tua. Tua is a guy who's going into his second year, was benched at points last year for Ryan Fitzpatrick, still was part of a playoff run. 
Are, how are we feeling with Tua going into next year fantasy-wise? I like him. Look, he's – I mean, Tua Tagovailoa is going extremely low. The highest ADP of Tua Tagovailoa is ESPN at 16, which is where I have him in my rankings. But aside from that, everywhere else, you're really getting him in the 20s. And Yahoo, he's the 27th quarterback going off the board. You want to talk about a quarterback that, that has a lot of upside, a lot of ceiling – that's Tua with all the weapons around him entering his second year with all the talent that he has, both rushing potential and, and throwing potential. There's a lot to love about Tua Tagovailoa going into his second year. And yeah, you don't, you're not going to take him as your QB1, but you know what? You don't have to. You can take him as that high upside QB2 who, yeah, sure, maybe his floor is not phenomenal just given the fact he's going into a second year. His first year was up and down. Um, still showed a decent amount of promise though, and I blame a lot more of that on Chan Gailey than Tua. I, I really think Tua Tagovailoa is in for a potentially huge year, and, and I think grabbing him as your QB2 is a smart move. I blame it on Miami's incompetence as an entire coaching staff for not only pulling him, but honestly— Brian Flores is a good coach. Yes, but I think they made a mistake. If, if they were going to remove him as the starter at any point last season, then he should have sat the entire season. He should have sat— behind, I think they could have made the playoffs if Ryan Fitzpatrick was starting the entire yeah. season. And Ryan Fitzpatrick is a quarterback that I have ahead of Tua by one spot. I have Tua at 17. I have Fitzpatrick at 16. Uh, You know, Tua has the weapons. I don't think anyone's doubting that. I don't think we're doubting that here. Waddle, Fuller, Parker, Gusecki, they're all there. They're all there for him to take advantage of and prove that he can be a top quarterback in this league and be on that same tier as Herbert and Burrow. I'm just still a little bit skeptical of, of, I'm going to be honest, I'm skeptical of the wide receiving core. Like how many, how, how much faith are we putting in those guys to produce for Tua? Will they're Fuller, all, what, 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 do we, what do we really think that Will Fuller is going to give Tua? They're all slightly above average receivers. Jalen Waddle, next year, I'll give him slightly above average. Will Fuller, I'll give him thing. slightly above average. Devontae Parker, I'll say he's slightly above Maybe, average. No, Parker's average. I'd yeah, say Parker might this be is, average. This Parker's is the average. epitome of a Miami Dolphins receiving core. Because let's talk about what the big three were before these guys. You had Devontae Parker, you had Jarvis Landry, and then you had um, – what was the other guy who was also a pretty solid receiver? Um, I can't think of his name now. But, but they had three oh. receivers who were all average – to slightly above average, right? And Jarvis Landry, I'll, I'll give more than slightly above average. He's he's an absolute stud, but but like he's an underneath guy. He's not someone who, who's running a lot of deep routes, going to make a lot of big splashes, big he's plays. Still, so that only helps marginally for, for fantasy uh, for quarterbacks. So, you know, that's just the epitome of a receiving core with the Dolphins. And now you look at Jalen Waddle, and, and that's the big question mark. Oh, I mean, Will Fuller is a big question mark too. Will he be able to stay on the field? You know, were the performance enhancers that the PEDs that he got suspended for, was that just some kind of like dumb little thing or, or was he actually taking some form health. of steroids to stay on the field, you know, because he couldn't stay healthy. So there, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. And, you know, what's Jalen Waddle going to do in his first season, especially only having started like six games in his entire college career? What's he going to be able to do? Also, can he stay healthy? Because he too has dealt with some injuries in college. Next question, is Tua Tagovailoa going to be able to stay healthy, right? Because, I mean, the, he dealt with some injuries too, some, some nagging frequent injuries throughout his college career. So a lot of question marks there. That being said, I do really like Tua. Shane, you mentioned how you have Tua at 17, Fitzmagic at 16. I have Tua at 16, Fitzmagic at 17. So I I, I, just, I, I just, you know, it, it depends it. what you're going for. Like if yeah. you've already taken 
Jalen Hurts and you really waited for a quarterback, you're going to take Ryan Fitzpatrick because yep. I truly believe when he's given the starting job, he's a top 12 quarterback, especially with the weapons that he has this year, Samuel, McLaurin, all those guys. And we'll get to Terry probably in a little bit. Uh, but but Fitzpatrick is, is I think, a, a, as a surefire backup like a Kirk Cousins that you're going to find that late in your draft. Who is that shot in the dark like Sam Darnold where, you know, has the upside, really has that potential. Uh, but but there's just so many things not only working against them, but that need to yeah. work for them in order for them to succeed at the next level. Uh, things that we haven't seen yet out of either of them. And I'm going to say it again. The, the only person that I think this benefits the most in this entire offense is Gaskin, because yeah. I, I can't find the stat right now. I had the stat and I did a video on TikTok using that stat. But it was something where it was looking at the not only the targets from the quarterback position, but his receptions at the running back position on a per week basis based on the games that he played. And he was top five in the league for running backs. I, it's just, just another reason to love miles Gaskin next season. I'll yeah. sing his praises. I'm drafting and I'll say this now, unless you, unless, unless I'm in a league with you guys and I have a league, uh, one of our follower leagues is coming up this Saturday and we'll probably break down at least for a little bit on Sunday, what I did in that draft. Uh, but Darren Waller, Miles Gaskin, my favorite third and fourth round picks this season. Yeah, no doubt about that. Let's stick on the Raider train a little bit here. So Derek Carr versus Tua, who are you taking out of those two quarterbacks? Because Derek Carr is a guy who finished as the QB 13, but we may have seen his ceiling already versus Tua, who we haven't seen their ceiling. No, Derek no Carr's ceiling was seen in 2016 when he had a, an MVP caliber campaign, a, a, you know, and so, uh, but at this point, I mean, I'm going to take two. And again, depends on what you're going for. You want someone who you know is going to be a, a safe, solid backup. Derek Carr's going to do that for you. That being said, I don't think Tua, even his floor is a crazy amount lower than Derek Carr, but his ceiling is sure as heck a whole lot higher. So I think in most scenarios, I would take Tua over Carr. It's just, you know, you look at the Raiders and we talked about it. It's Darren Waller and blank. Brian Edwards, is he going to be something? John Brown, is he going to stay healthy, be on the field and be that team's, you know, deep threat go-to? Or is that going to be Henry Ruggs? Uh, it's, it's really the, the, it's uh, both teams are so interesting when it comes to their offense, because they've changed their offensive lines. You know, they, they, they have, or the backfield for the Raiders is a little bit different than Miami, because I think that's more of a one, two punch than what you have with the dolphins, but their wide receiving cores, I feel like in a way are similar where you really don't know exactly what you're going to get out of these guys. What are you going to get out of Brian Edwards in his second season? What are you going to get out of Henry Ruggs in his second season? But what are you going to get out of Will Fuller coming off his best season and then being suspended? I don't know. But it's I'm like the, their car's got like one receiver who you know is going to be phenomenal for him. Whereas, you know, Tua doesn't have that, that guy. one guy. Yeah, but it's not the same level as Darren Waller, you see. But then the other guys that Tua has, I think, are overall give you a better chance than the guys that Derek Carr has. But there's still a lot of question marks there. And, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think Tua, though, Tua's upside is, is a decent bit higher, um, which is why that I will definitely take Tua over Carr. Shane, I bring this up because I was talking about Derek Carr's draft position, finishes a QB 13 um, on our last episode. Right now, in terms of average draft position on ESPN, Derek Carr is the 27th taking quarterback off the board That's in ESPN. That's it's ridiculously low. That puts him two spots above Trace McSorley, who's being the 29th. Uh, yeah. 29th. Jack was telling me that, and I was like, quarterback right now in ESPN league. So. TikTok, TikTok going too far. Man, do be throwing on a dime though. I can say that. 
According to ESPN's live draft trends, too, currently Drew Brees, who's retired, has a higher average draft position than Jared Goff of the Detroit Lions, who's starting next year. So I have a weird another feeling about Jared Goff. I, I don't I don't think he's going to be fantasy relevant, but I think there's a chance that he can find not more success, but I think he can find his groove in Detroit without the pressure of Los Angeles on him without the pressure of being on a playoff caliber team. And, you know, maybe this is going to be his get right moment where the lions eventually when his contract, or I don't know how long his contract is. I know it's uh, substantial at the moment, but once the contract runs out, maybe he finds himself in a better position, uh, kind of like a rebound, like Carson. Wentz. Well, I'll I say, think... well, go ahead. I'll say for Jared Goff, it, it might be perfect that he's on the lions. Cause I feel like he's the epitome of the lions, right? You know, like constantly living in a state of mediocrity. Um, and if everybody is, lives in a state of mediocrity, then they'll constantly be bad. You know, Jared Goff is going to be that guy who's not good enough to get rid of, you know, but also not good enough to like do anything crazy good for the but, team. But but is he? You know, he's he's led the the Ram in a way, led the Rams to a Super Bowl in the past. I think that he he truly he lost himself. I think the Rams offense was a total mess last season. If we're going to be honest, the, it they, was. Have, they had no identity whatsoever. They, they couldn't even commit to Jared Goff at the end of the season. They couldn't commit to a run game. They couldn't commit to anything. I think Jared Goff needed this fresh start. I know this is kind of off track, but it's just something that I've been thinking. I think he needs this fresh start. I think Detroit's going to be fine for him. I don't think Detroit's going to win more than four games next season, but I think Jared Goff's going to have an, uh, a sneaky, good season at least stat wise not for fantasy but for real life purposes no and that'd be and that'd be again a big big detroit lions thing is that jared goff would make him like good enough to keep him out of the race for one of the top quarterbacks but like still bad enough to not be anything good so another another player that's out of la now but still might be able to find some success this is a guy you brought up shane i don't believe in it maybe i'm not seeing it but you said gerald everett's a guy you want to talk about a little bit Hit, hit me on why well, what are your thoughts? On I am, I am intrigued. Time? I'm intrigued by this too. I'll start with this fun little stat. I saw by fantasy data. I love them. I use them in all my TikToks. Tight ends with the highest true catch rate in 2020 with a minimum of 50 targets. You have Tanyan at one, Schultz at two, Gerald Everett at three at a 93.2%. All right. That's a cute little stat looking at right there. There's a guy on Twitter, Jeremy Pope's FFH. He's great at what he does. He does huge threads on certain players and really breaks them down. Uh, and when you look at Gerald Everett and you look at what the, the Seattle offense is, Gerald Everett's not old and Gerald Everett is not, not talented. Uh, his opportunities in LA were far and few between, if we're going to be honest, Jack, you wrote uh, our breakout section on the, on the website for Tyler Higby. And your main, uh, your, your starting line was, it feels like every year is going to be the breakout year for Tyler Higby. I think there's a chance that Everett and Higby were holding each other back in terms of reaching their true potential in that offense. You add in Everett into the Seattle offense. I'm trying to go through the thread here. It's a huge thread uh, for, for Everett next season. Now, here, here's where Jeremy makes a great point. This is the point that I was making earlier in the show. For Gerald Everett to break into the top 12 at the tight end position, he would need 140 PPR points. That would be 62 receptions, 673 yards, and three touchdowns. So the yards are over 200 more than what we said for Komet was on pace for with Jimmy Graham there. But who's the real competition right now in Seattle? Will Disley, maybe he's still there. 
I, I don't know. Seattle had so many tight ends. They've been rotating tight ends for quite a while now. But their wide receiver, it's DK and it's Lockett. And they drafted Dwayne Eskridge. They lost David Moore. I think besides DK Metcalf, like even, even you never want to predict injuries or, or project injuries on anyone. But if on the off chance next season, we saw something happen to DK Metcalf, the true number one, one of the best red zone targets in the NFL right now, the go-to guy for Russell Wilson when it comes inside the 10-yard line. If you were to go down, I truly believe that Gerald Everett could be a weekly top five tight end in that Seahawks offense with the amount of volume that he's going to receive. He, he really doesn't need that much volume to be a top 12 tight end. Jack, do you have right now uh, the same sheet you were looking at for tight ends, ADPs and wherever it's going in comparison? I can pull it up really quickly. Yeah, because I, I, I think he's cheap. Listen, he's cheap. He's, he's going to be as cheap as Komet. He'll be as cheap as Trotman, which we're going to talk about in a little bit because I like Trotman just as much. And he's as cheap as Dawson Knox. You have those guys who are the quote-unquote number one tight end for their team uh, that aren't like Darren Waller or Travis Kelsey where they're the number one target for their team. Another reason why I love those guys just as much as anyone else because you're getting the number one target at the most scarce position of fantasy football. But Gerald Everett, I think, besides anything, has the greatest chance out of those guys going outside the top 20 to finish inside that top 12. Jack, you take over for a second, find that ADP and I'll find some more things. I'm, I'm going to, I want to, I'm going to touch on, I just looked up since 2013, what the target breakdown for, and 2013 was 2012 is when um, Russell Wilson was drafted. I don't know if he started that year, but even then it would have been a rookie. So basically for the entirety of Russell Wilson's career, right? What that, how many targets went to the tight end position? Never was it more than 150. I don't think it was ever more than 140. And the only tight end to ever even receive north of 50 or, or north of 60 targets in a season was Jimmy Graham on that team, right? You had guys like Will Disley and, and, and um, um, Luke Wilson, uh, you know, were, were two of the names of, of guys from years where Jimmy Graham wasn't there who received targets. And even when Jimmy Graham was there, he didn't, he was never able to reach hundred targets, right? The three seasons they had him, it was 74, 96 and 94, I believe are the numbers that showed up targets in that season. Now, those are obviously 90, especially those 96, 94 targets. That is significant. That being said, Gerald Everett, much smaller name than Jimmy Graham. I just, my concern is that Seattle has really never, Russell Wilson has really never used the tight end position heavily and so why is Gerald Everett going to make that different? Because he's not a big name either. So here's a few things that I'm looking at right now. So Carol's, you were right. Carol's tight ends over his NFL career, the target average over 10 years is 104.6 to that position in the Seattle offense. The highest years, you're right, were with Jimmy Graham, 133, 122, 116. Graham got 96, 74, 95. The next two highest years have been the past two years with the tight end group that they have now. 112 in 2020, 101 in 2019. Everett himself, his career totals, 204 total targets, 127 receptions, 1,389 yards, and eight touchdowns. He has a catch percentage of 62.3% and a 6.8 yards per target. He has increased his total every single year that he's been in the league in a two-tight end room. You can't deny that. Higby and Everett, especially with the Rams utilized with that two-tight end offense when they were both on the field, that was a two-tight end room. And now I, I, I truly believe that Everett can emerge as the number one tight end in Seattle. Again, you're paying nothing for the speculation. Do we really think right now 
uh, I'll pull up the Seattle depth chart for a second, just just to give an, an idea of what we're working with here. And because I'll throw it I, out there when we have a quick second. So speaking of paying nothing, he's going as the 25th tight end on the board. He's not being drafted. He's only owned in three and a half percent of ESPN fantasy leagues right now. So Gerald Everett right now has competition at the tight end position against Will Disley. All right, big Montana, Will Disley. Shout out to the fantasy footballers. He's a decent guy that they have there. One of the bigger guys, probably going to be used probably more as a blocker. Colby Parkinson, name doesn't ring a bell to me. He, and he was a rookie rookie out of Stanford last year, two years ago. Someone who actually had a lot of potential, but then kind of had a disappointing senior season and kind of fell off a little bit. He's not super athletic, though, but right, he's so a receiving he's, tight end. So he's their third on the depth chart. And then Tyler Mabry is the fourth on the depth chart there. So, I mean, you, you look at it, I really don't see much in the way for Gerald Everett to get the numbers that he needs to finish as a top 12 tight end, especially when you look at him versus Cole Komet. And I think that the battle between Everett and Disley is much less significant in terms of Everett winning than Komet trying to beat out. Of course, it's Jimmy Graham, the guy that we were talking about with the Seahawks. So I, I just personally feel like there's uh there's a, there's, room for Everett to break out, especially in a way that the Seahawks could utilize him near the goal line. Maybe he's not a week to week tight end start right away. I don't think you expect that out of any of the guys. You're really not drafting Cole Komet or Dawson Knox to start out of the gate. That's more of like a week five. You see that they've taken over and they can be a top 12 tight end next season. But Gerald Everett's a guy that I'm going to be drafting out a guy that I'm going to have my eyes on, especially I think I'm going to go Darren Waller, Gerald Everett, is going to be a start that I'm going to go in a lot of drafts. I'll say Colby Parkinson. I, I just looked this up. One exactly he was drafted. I knew it was recent. It was last year. He was a fourth round pick. He only had two receptions across the entire year, but at Stanford, he, you know, he was utilized as a receiving tight end. So he's not a non-factor in a sense, since he'll be going into a second year. That being said, Gerald Everett, I think will definitely be a fairly clear number one. They signed him too. It's not like they, you know, they went out of their way to sign Gerald Everett. Yeah. They saw, they brought I, him in for a reason. My concern is that the only other, no other tight end has even gotten close to the target numbers Jimmy Graham had. No other tight end has even gotten close to that 74 target number in Seattle. None of them have even topped 60 targets in a season that aren't named Jimmy Graham. Will Disley is a guy who's been the number one there at at times off and on. I mean, I, I don't know how much I would be willing to predict that his 30 to 40 targets a year are going down. And, you know, we're talking about the, an offense. Colby Parkinson, I, I think, has a chance of receiving, you know, some targets too throughout the year. And you're looking at probably not much more than 100 targets on the entire year to go around, which would probably, which in my mind would give Gerald Everett, maybe he'll, he'll break the 60 target mark, but I don't see him getting much more than 70 you No, know, I just said that last year was one of the highest since they had Jimmy Graham, that Pete Carroll has utilized the tight end. So obviously he saw something that he liked there and wanted to bring in someone new to compete for the number one role in the position. I just, I, I just don't want to think... throw a disclaimer out there really quickly. If you're drafting Gerald Everett, it's in the last round or you're picking him up yeah. off your waiver wire. Please don't take this conversation and then shoot him up your draft board. It's well, in the last round. If you're drafting be, Gerald Everett, I think he has a chance to finish as a low end tight end one. I don't think that chance is particularly high though. And that's, that's my concern with him. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm more in the boat that he's a late round flyer. I don't usually draft a backup tight end, but he can be a guy on your bench who might get in the end zone. We'll just play a quick game. Would you rather, would you rather have Tyler Higby or Gerald Everett on your roster at this point of the season? Tyler Higby. 
Oh, it's still Tyler Higby. I still have Tyler Higby as a top 10 tight end. Right now. I have him. I have him as 11. Yeah, no, That's I think a sleeper right there. And he is going as the 19th tight end on ESPN fantasy. Right. Yeah. Now. That's so a great one. Or, or would you rather have him or uh, Dawson Knox? Gerald Everett or Dawson Knox? I take Dawson Knox. I think, yeah, I think it's Dawson Knox. Honestly, I don't, I don't think I'd draft either of those guys. I don't care to have them on my roster. They're not worth a roster for me in one tight end links. I have Everett, Komet, Knox, and Troutman all in one tier with Everett above Knox. Let's talk about Troutman really quick. So Troutman's a guy who's stepping into Jared Cook's role in, well, we're thinking he's going to step into Jared Cook's role in New Orleans. Jared Cook has departed. He's in LA now, and we don't know the quarterback situation in New Orleans just yet. It's either going to be Jameis Winston, who if it is Jameis Winston, he's going to be throwing the ball a lot, or it's going to be Taysom Hill. And if it is Taysom Hill, he's going to be running the ball a lot. So what are our thoughts with Adam Troutman? And let's say, let's put Jameis Winston as the starter in right now with Adam Troutman. How high are we shooting Adam Troutman up our boards? Look, I don't know. If, oh, with, with Jameis Winston, way and higher James than Taysom Hill. Absolutely. But I still don't know how, how super high. Um, obviously, you don't have to take him highly. He's going super late, which is great. That, I mean, they don't have a bona fide number two wide receiver there. They have Michael Thomas. You know, Alvin Kamara is obviously going to catch a good number of passes. But then who's going to catch the ball? You know, is it going to be Marquez Callaway? Is it going to be Traquan Smith? You know, I mean, I think Adam Troutman has just as much of a chance to be the third target, the second wide receiver on that team or the second receiver on that team. Absolutely. Probably I'd give him the leg up over both Traquan Smith and, and Marquez Callaway. You look at last year, Jared Cook had 60 targets. But you've seen New Orleans offenses with Jimmy Graham where that, I mean, you're looking at over 100 targets per season to the tight end position. Am I going to predict Adam Troutman to have that? Absolutely not. But I definitely think there's a solid chance you see him at that 60 target floor, and that could be his floor legitimately. So Adam Troutman, you know, I mean, again, risk. He's a second-year guy. He only had 16 targets last year. So that is quite the jump to predict. But I definitely think there's a lot of potential there. I would take Adam Troutman over Gerald Everett because I think there's a lot more upside with him. And I don't think his floor is probably a little bit lower, but at that point I don't care because I don't want a backup tight end. I want someone who's going to be a legitimate starter. Shout out to my guy, Jeremy, because he once again came in clutch with this thread that I had saved on Adam Troutman. When you look at Sean Payton's tight end history since 2013, he's had uh, four top 10 fantasy finishers and six that finished inside the top 20. When you look at Jameis Winston, then this is purely for me liking Troutman. If Jameis Winston is a starter, 2016, 81 targets to the tight end position, 2017, 106, 2018, 97, 2019, 103. Those numbers plus Peyton's pattern kind of, it, it leads you to believe that Troutman, just at the tight end position alone, knowing that he doesn't have competition at the receiver position, I think a floor of 70 targets is very reasonable. And you think of 70 targets, 700 yards at that point, Maybe double-digit touchdowns is also a possibility. I love Troutman just as, as much as I like Everett. I have, Again, I have them all in the same tier. Uh, but I think Troutman, just as much as Everett, has a chance to break out as one of those tight ends that you don't have to spend high draft capital on next season. I have Adam Troutman as my tight end 12 for that reason. I really think that Adam Troutman's floor is – I mean, I, I liked him as a prospect, too. His tape – I mean, he's, he's a, a good receiving tight end legitimately, and, and he – I believe he he balled out at the combine too. He's a guy who's got a ton of athleticism, good hands, and he's stepping into a barren tight end room where he can really make a difference in a barren number two receiver role, which is wide open. And I think Adam Troutman has the best chance to fill that role. And so absolutely, I like Adam Troutman. You're getting him for super cheap. And I think he does have a legitimate shot to be a top 12 tight end. 
Another great thing about Troutman, just before we finish it off, that I saw here. Oh, did it just go away? No, there it is. Uh, He had an 87.1 run block grade in 2020, which was the highest among all tight ends. So you know he's going to be on the field all the time. All right. There you go. He's going to be on the field. He's going to have probably going to have a target share. So that is one reason to draft him. All right. Before we wrap it up here, because Lucas, how much time we got left here? Two minutes, Jack. Two minutes. All right. So before we wrap it up, Describe a running back for you, um, and you're going to tell me who it is. So this guy, he basically is going to see significant competition for targets and possibly carries as well. Finished as a top 10 running back last year in terms of average points per game in PPR. And finished with double-digit scoring in each of his last, sorry, I'm looking at it right here, in each of his last six games. I so, got it. Yep, who's this player? It's Jonathan Taylor. I knew as soon as you, the first thing that you said, it's Jonathan Taylor. And because I wanted to talk about it's, Jonathan it's, Taylor. It's, it's also Nick Chubb. It's also Nick Chubb. I was describing both players at the exact same time, actually. So Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor are both seeing, in, are seeing competition for targets because Nick Chubb still has Kareem Hunt there. Maybe less competition than Jonathan Taylor. We've seen increased competition this year with Marlon Mack and Naheem Hines there. But both guys finished as top 10 running backs last year and both finished on hot stretches with double-digit consistent scoring towards the end of the season. I'd like to hear who you guys are taking, Jonathan Taylor or Nick Chubb. If you're at the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th pick, this is a decision you're going to have to make in your draft. Who are you taking, Nick Chubb or Jonathan Taylor, and why? I'm taking Nick Chubb. It's not even close. And and that's really because we've seen what Nick Chubb can do with Kareem Hunt in that offense. We have no idea what's going to happen when Naeem Hines and Marlon Mack are both healthy and behind Jonathan Taylor. I have Jonathan Taylor as an RB2. I don't even have him as an RB1. He's going as like the fifth player in some rounds and some leagues. And that scares the heck out of me with those guys behind him because Naeem Hines can produce. He does produce. He does take away a good number of receptions. And Marlon Mack has been the starter there, a solid starter there for the Colts. And they went out of their way to re-sign him after he tore his Achilles. And it was looking like, you know, he was going to be a goner, I I thought pretty surely. So Jonathan Taylor concerns me quite a bit for those reasons. Reasons that a lot of people don't seem to see, which kind of confuses me a little bit. Um, But yeah, Nick Chubb over Jonathan Taylor. I'm, I'm taking him every single day of the week. It's uh, there's definitely not enough time to fully get into this. I would like to start the show with this next time that we're on the air, because this is a huge, huge, and I mean, ginormous debate that's going on right now in fantasy football, TikTok. I've gotten into it. Uh, I, people that I follow fantasy football, AZ, he's got 57,000 followers, the prophet who's got 39,000 followers. Everyone's going for each other's necks when it comes to Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor. My thing in, in my mind, just before we wrap things up here, is this. You can't full-on hate either one of these guys and full-on love the other. You can have you know mutual feelings at some point. You can like one. Obviously, you have to like one over the other. But it can't be, I hate Nick Chubb, and I love Jonathan Taylor so much. Because the situations that they're in are, ab- I mean, absolutely identical. Both teams, I think, have top three offensive lines in the league. Both running back cores feature guys that will vulture touches and receptions from the lead back there. Both guys, I, I mean, just over when you look at the numbers from last season, Jack, you said it, 
They are beyond comparable when it comes to the stats they put up, not only in real life, but in fantasy football. Now, the big thing with Jonathan Taylor, you said it was Marlon Mack. The people, the, the counterpoint that people make to that is that Marlon Mack has dealt with injuries his entire career. And then people come back with that and say, well, Marlon Mack had a hand injury and then he had a torn ACL and then he had something with his head. So nothing's related. And then people go back and forth. And all of a sudden we're just becoming doctors here when we're supposed to be fantasy football analysts. So leaving all that aside, I still have Nick Chubb ranked ahead of Jonathan Taylor. People saying that Nick Chubb, the Browns are going to rest Nick Chubb because they have Kareem Hunt. That's absolute blasphemy. And that makes no sense. One of the arguments that someone was making was that because Kareem Hunt's had overall more touches than Chubb last season, he's going to get more than him this season. Well, if anyone wanted to look, Nick Chubb missed four games last season and still finished inside the top eight at the RB position. So again, this is something that we can have people on and debate this and discuss this all day. I've had enough of it hearing it on TikTok. It's Nick Chubb for me, and that's that. Nick Chubb had 12 touch. Well, I guess we'll hit on this next episode, but keep this thought in your mind as we head into our next episode. Nick Chubb had 12 touchdowns last season, rushing touchdowns in 12 games. Touchdown also regression. Keep in your mind that Nick Chubb games. in 16 games had 49 receptions, and last year Jonathan Taylor had 36 receptions. Jonathan Taylor played 13 games, so if you really equate that over the full season, again, almost identical with the amount of receptions and targets they would receive. Jonathan Taylor may be a better receiving back overall than, than Nick Chubb, but Frank Reich loves to use committees, and I don't think that's going away, especially now that Carson Wentz is back there. Yep. ESPN average draft position, you have Jonathan Taylor going as the seventh overall running back. Nick Chubb is the eighth. Ninth is Aaron Jones, and tenth is Austin Eckler. Give me both, both those guys Austin above Eckler and yeah. Aaron Jones above Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb. They both have less competition and they both are in good setups where they're going to get the pass catching ability and they are going to get the rushing yardage as well. Take both of those guys over Nick Chubb and Jonathan Taylor. And that's going to be our final note here. Thank you for turning, tuning in to the fantasy football laboratory. Be sure to check us out on TikTok and on Twitter and our website at FF laboratory on Twitter um fantasy football laboratory or is it fflaboratory.com shane fflaboratory.com you can check out all the player profiles that we have right now breakout sleepers bus we got everything you can now enter the lab and see all of these guys who we believe has the chance to make a splash when it comes to next season for the chemist jack mcgrath spitfire lucas parish i'm the king of trade shane palma have a great day feels good to have you back shane yes